Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Editor's Note Rose Amy Pennethorn, 1875 to 1955, studied at Charlotte Mason's House of Education and graduated in 1898. After that, she had several posts in home school rooms, during which time she was the editor of Lumele Pianta, the alumnae magazine of the House of Education. Eventually, she became the organizing secretary of the PNEU, a position which she held from 1921 to 1940. Three-quarters of the way through her term as organizing secretary, she wrote this article, contemplating the evolving practice of nature study in the Charlotte Mason community and in the world at large. Neglected Nature by R. A. Pennethorne Birds are more studied nowadays than plants, first, I suppose, because they come to us and visit our bird tables and nesting boxes and sing to us in return. Many people are bird lovers who are not bird recognizers. Still, with sanctuaries and watchers, they have their altars and their devotees. Moreover, the conscience of the community has been touched, and we do not suffer from the sight of a linnet in a cage or a molting, depressed bullfinch as of yore overfed on hemp. Birds of the air do their best to teach us how to enjoy the sight of another style of living without possession. Forty years ago, when Charlotte Mason's work was first under consideration in the organized schools and education of England, she led the van of the fashion of the times in her insistence on nature work. She was herself a wonderful naturalist, and it was she who first drew my attention to the smell of mouse ear, hawkweed, and of other familiar plants. She preached what she practiced and deeply loved, and all her followers caught this deep personal interest in the endless cycles of plant, bird, insect, and animal life teeming around them. The nature notebooks, still kept by the students of Ambleside, are not, and never were, lesson books. They were personal records of a life lived in close communion with the life of the countryside around them. These books have indeed gone out into all the world, and one monograph on the birds of Ceylon owes its origin to them. Indeed, one feels that at some future time, those, continued and carefully kept, may rank as authorities for plant distribution or climate, when all our generation have passed away. Readers who are growing old will remember Mrs. Ewing's delightful books, Six to Sixteen and Mary's Meadow. Both show that amongst cultured people of those days, a knowledge of plant life and a zest for collections was common. There was far more leisure to fill then, and without transport, far more individual ways of filling it. Today, what with games, clubs, and always going somewhere else, the younger folk have not formed the habit of concentrating about the knowledge of every aspect of life in a given countryside. Can we, in the Parents' Union School, recapture for the children of today that pure and passionate knowledge? I believe we can if we implant the habit early and foster its growth. 
Hiking has brought walking back into favor, and so youth may once more be found upon the upland wild. The guides and the scouts have tried nobly with their naturalist's badge to encourage these studies. But they also know the difficulty of being offered merely the necessary minimum and modicum of information, instead of being asked to reward a lifelong devotion. Many schools have also offered prizes for holiday work and collections of wildflowers. Here we would offer, from long and sad experience, a heartfelt plea. If such work is suggested, let it be for all ages and not for the juniors only. It is sadly true that many people look upon any form of nature study as something for the babies, which is outgrown, of course, by noble people in their teens. Perhaps all the admirable work done by Froebel and other teachers in the junior classes has something to answer for, and there has been too much baby talk. Mr. and Mrs. Willow instead of staminate and pistolate, and all those attitude of life that goes with the avoidance of the proper technical term has put off some naturally scientific minds and alienated growing intelligences. Another point generally noticed in holiday floral collections is that the plants are pressed. Now, pressing is sometimes the only way to accuracy and to identifying rarities. Never shall I forget a search for an erica, still undetermined, through an overseas pressed flora, or the poor custodian who complained that only three people in two years had ever wanted to see the collection. Pressed flowers look hideous and smell atrocious as a rule. The roughest painting will give more of the gesture, color, and form, and little children can be and should be trained little by little to make accurate and scientific their gradually increasing store of direct paintings. With all our different local plant names, no accuracy is possible without the Latin label. An excellent way of gradually learning these is to record in one of Mrs. Den's field botanist's diaries the place and date of every find. In this, the Latin names of the 800-odd accredited British wild plants are given alphabetically. Thirty years ago, nature exhibitions used to be held. I remember a delightful one in the Regent's Park where butterflies lived in muslin cages with their food plants and were fed on honey. I remember also gatherings connected with the Trefoil Club in Kent and the rows of finds proudly exhibited there, one of which was coral root. In these days, we are so afraid of losing the flora and fauna which still remain to us that we are very cherry of letting the world in general know too much about our happy finds. The museums, which generally have a local natural history society affiliated to them, do exhibit floral specimens from the countryside, but they take good care to give no indication where the treasure actually stood when in its own home. The plucker has always been a terror to the real naturalist. And now we have the BBC to support our denunciations of the bluebell ravisher. But the rarer shire plants are only seen and noticed by the expert. I know a whole salt marsh, which only has sea heather down one of its dikes. 
and a great marsh in Norfolk, which only has yellow Velarzia in one stretch of water. Flora's League does grand work among the learned and the unlearned, teaching them to love all treasure trove with distant respect. Perhaps the best deed of my life was to have left a rare South African wildflower where I found it. There are so many of us now, and transport is so easy, that it behooves us not to turn out hordes of naturalists who are merely acquisitive. Our good modern teaching of science has made botany as much an indoor matter for the laboratory as an outdoor familiarity with things in their natural homes. We must learn to revisit our friends at their own homes and in their own seasons. We, in our union, used to believe in years for the little child of growth in a natural setting. Because the nation did not see its way to give the nation's children that time, but began their organized education at five, other children, who would eventually compete with them in public examinations, had begun earlier and earlier, and those true Vanderjada had been lost to all. One great European statesman boasts, not of his achievements, but that he knows why a hare's front legs are so short, and how you tame an owl, because he had those early years close to the real life of the countryside. Our English men and women are forgetting their country heritage, unless in contact with some teacher to whom things are dear and familiar. The boys in pre-war England of the great houses learnt a vast amount from gamekeepers and gardeners. With the changing scene and scale of expenditure, that source of information, too, is failing. Are we, as a society, capable of making a united effort in conjunction with any and every other body, not merely for the preservation of the countryside, but for a real revival of our knowledge of it? If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.